Welcome to another episode of Criterion on the Couch, a podcast from two amateur film buffs as they make their way through the vast Criterion collection one title at a time, all from the comfort of the couch. We record each episode immediately after we watch each film. I'm Adam Yurick, along with... Jim Massessa. Today's episode features the Royal Tenenbaums. Jim's going to take us through the official Criterion summary and specs. Royal Tenenbaum, Gene Hackman, and his wife, Ethelene Angel- Angelica Houston, ha, had three children, Chaz, Margo, and Richie, and then they separated. Chaz, Ben Stiller, started buying real estate in his early teens and seemed to have an almost preternatural understanding of international finance. Margot, Gwyneth Paltrow, was a playwright and received a Braverman grant of $50,000 in the ninth grade. Richie, Luke Wilson, was a junior champion tennis player and won the U.S. Nationals three years in a row. Virtually all memory of the brilliance of the young Tenenbaums was subsequently erased by two decades of betrayal, failure, and disaster. The Royal Tenenbaums is a hilarious, touching, and brilliantly stylized study of melancholy and redemption from Wes Anderson. This movie came out in 2001. It's 110 minutes long. It's in color. 5.1 surround sound. And it's 2.4 to 1 aspect ratio. And if you're following along at home with the criteria numbers, this is 157. Nice. Yeah. So before we start, I think we would say that we've both seen this film before a yeah. few times. Um, I, I think love I've this only movie. seen it once when it oh, really? came out like oh, okay. 16 years ago. Wow, yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, I, yeah. This movie, uh, I know it was shot in New York. Is it supposed to be New York where it takes place? I would assume so. Because it's I, 2001, and I was trying to see if there were any, like, World Trade Center references or anything like that, but I didn't notice. Yeah, I don't know if it was actually shot in 2001, though, because I'm sure it was probably shot in yeah, yeah, a, a year before. or two before that and then just set in right. that time. But what I actually think is kind of cool about this and a lot of what uh, Wes Anderson's able to do with a lot of his movies is that if you watch this movie, you only would know that it's set in 2001 because they tell that to you. Otherwise, right, right. he has this kind of vintageness to yeah. all of his movies where they're using rotary phones and computers that are a lot older mm-hmm. so there's really only a couple instances where i think you see technology modern technology uh come into play which is where they're in the office chaz's his bedroom when there was doing an apple the work. Cube. and there was yeah there was the, a couple apple computers that were there that were obviously from the late 90s early 2000s yeah i think the apple cube actually came out summer of 2000 so this movie could not have been shot that long before it came out, um, unless they somehow got a hold of the Apple Cube early. Yeah, I mean, they probably would have for promotional purposes of, uh, of the movie. But yeah, we did both see this before. Um, this may have been my first Wes Anderson movie that I saw. Um, I might have seen bits and pieces of Bottle Rocket before this, um, but yeah. So the only two Wes Anderson movies that I've actually seen are Bottle Rocket and The Royal Tenenbaums. I have somehow managed to never no. watch Life Aquatic or... You Grand saw Moonrise Kingdom, didn't you? No, I didn't. I actually right. turned it off 10 minutes in because I Ooh. I didn't like it. So, Which is a pretty harsh thing to do for a movie. I don't normally do that, but I was just like, ah, I'm done with this and turned it off. I actually own Grand Budapest Hotel, but have never watched yep. it. Yep, yep. It's on, on my list of, of movies that I have to watch. It, is every Wes Anderson movie in the Criterion Collection? 
No, I don't. Almost all of them. Is Grand Budapest in now? Yeah. Okay. So then, yeah, I believe. I'm sorry. No. uh, Fantastic Fantastic Mr. Mr. Fox. Fox. Yeah. You've seen that. I completely forgot about that. That actually is uh, one of my favorite movies. And I just completely forgot that it was in the. uh, It's in the Criterion Collection and a Wes Anderson film. I love Wes Anderson movies. Uh, This is probably not his happiest movie, but I'd say most of his movies aren't super uh, uplifting. Yeah, I don't. I mean. I guess not. They all kind of have a general consistent tone to them, I feel like. At least the ones that I've seen. Yeah, I mean, they... They're uh, not, like, deep, dark, depressing films. No. Uh, I, I mean, granted, I've only seen Bottle Rocket and Fantastic Mr. Fox and Royal Tenenbaums, but... You didn't see the, Rushmore, either? Oh, damn. I just, like... I haven't really prepared well for this. I have seen Rushmore. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I... I think that's that's one thing about his movies too. A lot of them are They're so quirky. similar, and they kind of blur together in your head. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, they feature a lot of the same characters. Yeah. He's he's good with that. I mean, I know that he is because uh, Bottle Rocket was his first film, independent film, like getting started. He's been good friends with the the um, the Wilson, Luke yeah. Wilson, Owen Wilson. Uh, so they they're in a lot of his films. Bottle and Rocket then, had all three brothers. Yes, uh, Luke. Owen and Richard, no, Andrew. Yeah. Um, who, really been... Andrew was in this as well. Very was brief it? cameo. He's actually Margot's real dad when she goes to the farmers. Oh, yeah, that is him. Um, yeah, I I didn't realize that was him, but while I was looking somebody else up on IMDb, I saw that. So, oh, oh yeah, I guess that was him. Um, yeah, but I don't think Andrew's in any of the other... No, I don't, his career hasn't gone the way that Owen and Luke Wilson's has. So no. I don't know really the story behind that, but he um, was in a that Ellen Page roller skate movie, uh, Whip It or Whip Whip It. That. He's like the team coach. He's pretty good now. Oh, okay, hmm. uh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Whip It, Whip It, Whip. I don't know. It's one of those. Um, yeah, yeah. So overall, I enjoyed this movie. Um, I enjoyed it when I saw it years ago. I enjoyed it again. It, there's so much setup and backstory about the characters uh, just described by the narrator in the beginning of the movie, which is... Who's Alec Baldwin, which is, that, is kind of a good yep. a good touch. Because I think his voice is... I don't know, it might be more so now than it was then, but his voice now, I think, is more recognizable. Yeah, He's done a yeah. lot more voiceover work and commercials because and, 30 Rock would have been after September, after yeah, yep. yeah, 2001. So I think he's... And especially now, after doing his Saturday Night Live stint the last year or so, uh, even more so. But I think that's kind of a thing because I think you're kind of hoping you're going to see Alec Baldwin in the movie, but you 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 know we never do. Uh, one of the things that I I always that I admire about Wes Anderson films is even though I haven't seen them all, I've seen trailers and stills and stuff from them. Is that I think he has such a unique signature style of cinematography that he does. Yeah. Uh, he has a like a pretty signature color palette that he does. I think the way I wrote a note down as we were doing that, um, as we were watching that, uh, I was trying to think of the way to des- to describe it. And I, I refer to it as colorfully drab <laughs> that there's those things where it's a lot of his films kind of have that like pastel color palette to them. Yeah. They're like, but m- there's sometimes super colors. bright colors, but then, um, you know, you have like your grays and your tans or it's yeah. kind of a lot of beige. Um, yeah. It's like the, sometimes it feels like the, there's at least through this film, I know it was shot like it takes place during winter, but a lot of his movies kind of feel like they're overcast all the time. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Um, that there's just this like kind of general 
like diffusion of light through everything. Yeah. Uh, but you have things that get offset by. Uh, you have Chaz and his sons wearing bright red Adidas track suits, and um, you know, even Margot, she kind of wears like lighter clothing, like lighter colored clothing, nothing too bright. Uh, but then you have like uh, Henry Sherman's bright blue blazer that he right. wears, uh, and then even a Royal Tenenbaum wears, I, I mean, a, diff- a ton of different costumes throughout, but they're mostly like gray suits and this gray elevator uniform. Doesn't really ever have anything that's like too two out there uh and then even eli is wearing kind of tan all the time that the whole movie he has is like leather i don't know if that's leather his jacket on with like his like cowboy he's yeah, a cowboy like, look like so he's got right right so he's got the cowboy look going so it's all it's all got this like tan coloring and stuff but he does a good job with like the wallpaper or mm-hmm. um you know just the type of scenes that they're kind of putting up there he does a really good job with color uh and and cinematography and he always in most of his movies he has that signature signature slow-mo shot and a signature like long pan shot usually like left to right long pan one continuous shot sometimes they're combined together it's a long pan that is in slow-mo he does this in almost every movie he didn't do it in this movie, okay, which caught say, me off guard, he did do the slow-mo, and it was right at the, it, I think it was the last scene in the cemetery, as they're leaving the cemetery, oh, right, they're walking yeah. slowly. Um, but yeah, in most of his his movies, there's always some type of like, usually somebody's running, and it's like slow-mo, and there's like a song that's kind of upbeat playing on top. Right. Um, I know he does it in Life Aquatic, I know he does it in Darjeeling Limited, he does it in Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, yeah, so... One other aspect of his cinematography that's kind of a signature thing with him that I've noticed in, especially in the Royal Tenenbaums, is he uses all of his movies, I believe, are shot in, you know, we talked about aspect ratios in the past, but this is shot in like 2.4 to 1, Mm -hmm. which is if you're watching this movie on a 16 by 9 TV, you're going to see two big black bars at the top of the screen. That's that like cinemascope, that Panavision, that ultra wide screen that you see a lot of action movies are shot in that. Um, and when you have that, you kind of have this ability to really play with the frame. So what, one thing that if you notice, if you watch this film, he puts characters right in the center of the, of the frame where you would have a lot of directors would put them off to the sides, characters Mm. off to the sides of, of the frame. He puts people right in the middle. Like, I mean, there's scenes where you have, uh, like you have uh, Margot and Richie were sitting on the sofa across from Royal Tenenbaum and they're having the conversation yeah. and Royal's right dead, you know, right dead center uh, in the frame. And then the two of them are sitting really close to each other in the middle of the frame. And then he's kind of just cutting back and forth to them. But also in that scene, I think that's a really good example too, that scene, because he uses wide angle lenses and he gets really close. So if you, if you notice I mean, someone who knows a decent amount about photography, you can see in the background, like in that scene specifically, because behind Royal is the as a big mantle, big fireplace, and you can see how it's like warped and bent, yeah, because he's so close to his characters, Hmm. Uh, and that's a common. They go throughout this movie, and it's just just wide angle lens. He does that a lot, where he either uses a wide angle lens and is close um, to a character. He doesn't really fill the frame with characters' faces or yeah. things. He has a lot of, he gives his characters a lot of room in the frame. I could think of another scene. I think where it's uh, 
when Chaz is like looking out the window at one point earlier in the film and it's kind of like panning up the house and it's this it's a wider shot where it's like all the brick facade of the side of the house yes. and the window's really small in the middle and he's kind of there and that's like your focus it's just kind of this the brick is drawing your attention directly to the small window uh, he does that a lot in the movie where it's the characters are kind of taking up the center of the frame or he puts them really really far to one extreme yes that so that in particular putting one character kind of far in the side i noticed twice specifically with margo um there's a scene in the hospital where the whole family is there to see richie mm-hmm. and everyone's standing around his bed except margo is kind of in the back as a viewer she's in the back right of the screen and because she's so far in the back she almost looks like a child because she looks so much smaller than everybody right, else yeah. um but visually she's kind of like offset from all the other characters and then that happens again with her specifically a little later in another scene where she's again in the background. Um, I think it's at the wedding maybe during the, the car crash and she's kind of off in the background separate from everybody else. Um, although I, I mean, I didn't notice that that widescreen kind of like bending. Um, but now it's not super noticeable. Yeah. If you know what you're looking for, you can see it. It's not like he's using like a fisheye style lens and right, really, right. really close, but it's a way to, um, in a lot of movies where you would have, you know, a lot of these scenes where characters are talking are shot with telephoto lenses. So you have that, the background is blurred mm-hmm. and you have the character kind of set off. And with, at least with this film, you can see the like the background is part of the, you know, of what everything he wants you to see. He doesn't want you just to solely focus on the character. Like the what's behind the character to him is, I would assume, is also important. Like everything's in focus. Right, right. The wider angle lens you use, the the shorter or, or the bigger the depth of field. So the closer you can get and everything will still be, or the farther away or closer yeah. you get, everything's going to be in focus. Well, Wes Anderson spends so much time on like uh, scenery, like setting yeah. up a room. And I think he really wants you to notice all those little things hung on the wall. Like it, when you're watching this, you almost feel like, everything in the room has meaning in some way. There's like a, an old typewriter and maybe the way the sheet of paper in it is bent. That, that means something. Every book, every board game that's setting yeah. out somewhere, it's like, oh, what does this mean? Um, I kind of wanted to just pause and like look at the names on all the books and figure out, uh, you know, this character is reading Chekhov. What is, what's the title of that book? What does it mean? Right. Um, yeah. I, I, that kind of stuff. I, I love that. Um, in the, in the insert for the criterion collection, um, we were looking at this before we started and um, Wes Anderson actually includes, it's like a uh, six, you know, if you fold out the insert, it folds out six ways. So you have a, a pretty big view here. It's all the hand drawn illustrations by Wes Anderson's brother, Eric. Um, so every, every room it's kind of drawn all the details it's labeled. And that's what the actual, um, whatever you call the guy who, does the scenery the prop guy or whatever they use this mm-hmm. for reference when building the actual sets um be a like a set dresser someone who puts yes sets on. that sounds correct mm-hmm. um and then if 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 you know what those drawings look like having seen the insert here um i think it's supposed to be richie's room in the tannenbaum house where uh royal is actually like in his hospital bed when he's in the house mm-hmm. the wallpaper has like illustrations drawn on it, which are like scenes from their childhood. Right. And that's the exact same drawing as in the insert. So I assume that was Eric Anderson who had drawn those or somebody 
mimicking his style on purpose to to do it that way um but that's really cool it just kind of all yeah i noticed that there's like the in the background of one scene towards the end of the movie you could see uh royal tenenbaum shooting jazz with the bb like that was painted on the wall (laughs) i thought that was kind of funny there's like little things again you could anytime they're in that room whose room was that was that richie's room i think it's supposed to be richie's i think and i i would i think you're supposed to assume that that was in the movie, that's Richie painting that stuff. Yeah, that like, would make he, sense. Because that was a part of his And he had all painting. the paintings that he had, right. had drawn. Um, well, one, one and um, I think that would just be interesting, though. You could go back to any scene that was shot in there and, like, pause it and zoom in and try to uh, try to look uh, look into that. But quick uh, film fun fact here oh um, is when you're talking about props versus setting and things like that. Yes. Um, a prop is and the people who are they're referred to as property masters or, or people who handle props a prop so like in a movie if there's a typewriter sitting on a desk it only becomes a prop if an actor touches it if an actor is going to handle something mm. that is a prop but if it's not and it's just sitting there and the actor never touches it then that is handled by the people who usually someone like will be referred to as a set dresser or other people who are working with the set it's considered part of the set and not a prop so Property masters only deal with things an actor touches, interesting. which is interesting. Um, there was one other thing came to mind while you were talking about, uh, I think, Chaz looking at the window. Um, Wes Anderson tends to use a lot of miniatures in his, his movies, especially for like scenery, um, which I don't think he does in this movie anywhere. Anytime you're seeing the exterior of the building, um, there's a scene where, is it Chaz? Or Richie is walking in, I think it's Richie, he's walking in front of boats, like in a harbor. They, I mean, that looked like a real shot behind him. I don't think it was like green screened or anything. It's like the, the Queen Victoria ship or something is behind him. Um, and I'm I, sure that was probably green screened. I don't, it I doubt could it. Could have been. It was, but it, it was I don't done well. Was. Yeah, I don't, I didn't notice anything that looked like it was, like he was using miniatures but he definitely has used a lot of that i mean obviously yeah uh fantastic mr fox is all stop animation and he's sure. done that. but yeah um but especially well, he uses practical set like practical effects practical sets he doesn't do uh really any cg that that i've heard of i i think he no. tries to stay as traditional as possible uh, shooting the film i think there's some cg in life aquatic when they're underwater or it, yeah. might, it might be stop motion actually um yeah but a lot of his sets when you're watching it, you feel like you could be watching a play. Like this right. could be a, a one stage set and you know, you're, you're seeing it the same way you would see it in an audience. Yeah. I mean, you could, the, the, even the way the Royal Tenenbaums is set up, I think it's, you know, he has the, the narrator kind of reading these chapter intros right. could be very, you know, it definitely could be staged as a play. And those chapter intros I think are, are interesting because if you actually quickly read them, you, there's enough time that you can read the two or three sentences right. that are up there before, before, um, the, scene before the scene starts and in only like one or two instances does they're they're written like they're scene descriptions that would be like in a script right they're not actually they don't really they're not written in prose right uh and there's only one or two scenes where they actually accurately describe what you see in the next camera frame there's a couple instances where they describe the way a character walks into a room and what they're doing yeah and when it cuts to the scene they're not actually doing that oh i didn't the only ones i actually where he was able to read and see at the same time, they were all doing exactly what... Well, it's similar. The, um, and I can't remember the specific instance, but at the very beginning, there was one or two where they said, oh, the character was doing this. And when you actually watch the scene, they're not doing oh. anything. There's there one where um, Royal Tenenbaum walks into the lobby of the hotel, I think, 
and it's like oh walks in and there's like nobody there and that that is pretty close to what happens but there's a few others that where it's not uh there was one where they say he's getting out of a cab and he's holding a cane but he walks fast for holding the cane and he does do that yeah yeah uh, that's the only one i could think of offhand but i remember seeing that um yeah i like that it's a different way to kind of break up a movie and I don't know. This whole it, this movie is so stylized, and they they you know it's less than two hours, 110 minutes. But you feel like you know so much about these characters just because of all that backstory they give you right in the beginning through narration. Um, I think the way the sets are built out, you feel like you're actually in a lived-in home that people grew up in, um, and every each character is kind of very. Um, I don't know. They're they're so um, caricatured. Like, yeah, you know, Margot is like she's. I don't know. Uh, she's not like that. She's the depressed one. Right. She's very uh, standoffish. She's adopted. Like that's like kind of almost a gag. Yeah, like, she has that like emo yeah vibe to her. And then you have Chaz, who's the type a the oldest kid you know super successful always worried about everything um you have the uh uh richie who's your the, like the, the, the athlete of the family yeah. the the athletic guy of the family which um, in another movie like that can almost come off as they're very one-dimensional because right. it, you're you're almost over um emphasizing this these like single traits about them but it doesn't feel that way here well wes anderson they're so over the top that you know oh he's like uh trading real estate when he's 14 years old and he's like you know doing this invented this and he invented the dalmatian mouse right when he's like 12 years old so it's just like so over you kind of have that part where you're just like ah okay whatever this is like kind of like a you know it's ridiculous so we'll just go along with it it's not quite reality it's and i think as you were saying like you know so much about the characters because i think i feel like normally in a movie you voiceover as a crutch to kind of quickly get through things or tell you things without yeah. actually having to show show it to you but here it's done really well it's part of the movie because it happens throughout that yeah yeah throughout it uh but you see them and when you said about like you seeing the house live lived in where you saw them as like little kids living in the house and then it i think it was just really cool was just kind of had that opening credit scene where it actually shows or after sorry it's like a post opening credit scene in a way where it shows all the, you know, it's like Gene Hackman as Royal Tenenbaum yeah, and yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow as um, as Margot Tenenbaum and stuff like that. So I think that was great, too, to kind of set that up because it really gave you the juxtaposition of them as kids. And then you see, and they like look identical. It's like mini yes. versions of them, um, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, and I think really kind of goes along with the wackiness of the Every of character the has the same haircut for their entire life. Right. They wear yeah. the same color palette. Yeah, and actually, too, I think that when I was about halfway through the movie, I really felt like the only 100% completely normal person in the film is the mother. She's the only one who, when you see her in the film, everything that she says or her response to the weird things that her her kids do or her husband does or even Henry Sherman uh, is logical. Like, it's a logical response to everything that you know that they're that they're saying because even henry sherman would be like the but he's still kind of this odd guy who's like when he says to her i i love you uh, did you already know that no i didn't like just sort of like this odd yeah. you know 
odd, odd guy in there. And even Bill Murray's character, too. Um, which I, I thought they did a good job kind of like setting him up, and he did a great job p- kind of playing that sad yeah, I was guy without really wondering, having personality. Is this, is this the our intro to Bill Murray at playing sad, depressed characters? But I think Groundhog Day might have been that first. Well, that was, again, well... I feel like he's well, very typecast Lost in nowadays. Translation came out around the same time as this. I think this, that I was after this. Was it? I thought yeah, it was like yeah. 2000. I guess it was. I don't know. It was early 2000s. And that was like his big yeah. kind of breakout thing. But the scene where he's with Dudley reminded me of the scene when he's in Ghostbusters. Like we're getting introduced to Riley St. Clair uh, in Royal Tenenbaums. Yes. And he's like kind of experimenting and running these psychological tests on this kid. And that's. I think almost exactly the way we're introduced to, to um, in Peter Venkman he has, like, the cards. in Ghostbusters. He has the cards and he's running like the psychological yeah. tests on them. Uh, so that, that was kind of uh, a funny way to see that. I immediately thought of that scene. Which... Yeah. This is, this might be one of his first, like it, he, out of all the main actors in this movie, I feel like he had the smallest role. Um, yeah, definitely. And which is, you know, it's one of those weird things where you think somebody as well known as Bill Murray you know, to give him such a small part. Um, but that almost becomes even more exaggerated in later Wes Anderson movies. Bill Murray has maybe maybe five minutes of screen time in the Darjeeling Limited, um, but he's still in the movie. Like, Well, we talked about this with in Brazil, though, too, because yeah. you have Robert De Niro's character, and it's, you know, he, he's only in, like, maybe 20 minutes of the movie, if that, if you add all of his time up. Yeah. Uh, and... You, when you first see him, you're like, oh, yeah, Rob, like you're expecting him to be in it more and that he's going to have this like and he kind of does in that movie. I mean, he comes in at pivotal he's times. He's not in, in that film. movie a lot, but his character, at least by name, is kind is of the, the subject about. of the movie. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so, again, I think that, again, as a tool that a lot, I think a lot of directors use to uh, yeah. to kind of have a big name actor kind of show up. Um, and carry even a small part. Definitely a lot of big name actors in this movie. Uh, oh yeah, I mean Danny Glover, Bill Murray, Angelica Houston. I mean the main cast, Gene Hackman. Yeah. So I mean, the, a lot of these are Academy Award winners, Academy Award nominees. All of the Wilson brothers. Yeah, yeah. this was and this was at the pretty much the beginning of their careers. Yeah. Was so, this the first uh, Owen Wilson Ben Stiller combo movie? Was this I before like um, what's the he gets married with uh, Dust. Uh, the family movie oh uh meet the parents <laughs> meet the parents yeah i f- i'm not sure i think this I think was, this pre was before the this they were yeah. close near the same time I yeah think. yeah around yeah. the same time yeah i mean that's a good combo even though in this movie i feel like owen wilson and ben stiller's character don't really they don't really have a lot of scenes together no um now owen wilson really only i mean his character eli only really you only see him with Margot and, and, Richie. and Richie the whole time. Which is weird that... So, Owen Wilson's character is not a Tenenbaum in this movie. He's like the neighbor kid that grew up with them. But his real-life brother, Luke Wilson, is a Tenenbaum. But in the movie, they're not brothers. Right. It's just weird. Like They, uh, they don't even look alike, though, I really. Think they, like, look, they, they sound alike... They do and they don't, I think. I mean, I, I, at this point, if they're both going to be in the same movie, uh, they're net. I don't know that they've ever been brothers. Were they brothers in Bottle Rocket? I thought so. I think so. So, but and I only have seen pieces. Of but it. yeah, I, I mean, I do. Th- I think it's an interesting point we made about like, oh, that he's not a Tenenbaum. Is that that's sort of like a theme 
throughout this is like, what does it mean to be a Tenenbaum? And right. what is even the title of the movie? Uh, because it's the Royal Tenenbaums, right. not Royals Tenenbaums or something like that. And we've Gene had a, Hackman's character's name is Royal right, Tenenbaum. His name is Royal Tenenbaum. And there's that whole thing where, um, uh, you know, Eli says like, oh, I've always wanted to be a Tenenbaum. And, you know, Royal says, yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, and Margo's well, adopted, so she's right, and not... she's not technically, you know, and obviously she, they they emphasize uh, how much Royal Tenenbaum kind of always introduces her as this is my adopted daughter, uh, right. uh, Margot Tenenbaum. But I think that's kind of interesting, is that it's sort of, you know, is it supposed to be like, oh, they are like a royal family in that sense that it was this family of geniuses yeah, yeah. and they kind of like fell down. They all kind of had some sort of meltdown, or in a way, if you think about it, you have. Um, I don't know if you necessarily have Margot have a meltdown, but you have kind of the 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 men, male characters, kind of all having a meltdown at some point throughout their lives and and seen in the film because um, you have uh, Richie who has a meltdown that's like played out where right. he just like melts down at tennis. Um, you have Eli who melts down on that TV show. Uh, kind of like goes all weird and oh, yeah, and I that's kind of his like drug and then it goes on and on to him crashing the car at the wedding um, um and then and then you have ben stiller's yeah. meltdown is maybe before this movie his wife died his wife dies so he's kind of like all neurotic and like you know that kind of has everything's kind of falling apart so i think that's the, sort of this the theme of this movie is that in all these kids their lives are kind of falling apart they all come back home uh I think presumably because they want to be with their mom because really, she's, like I said earlier, she's like the only logical sane person in this film. Yeah. So as to be that like calming force and then you have Royal Tenenbaum come back in to kind of throw everything up in the air and be, you know, and, and, and he's doing the same thing. He wants to make amends with his children and kind of like, you know, he realizes, um, as I think he even says, like he realizes he was an asshole and uh, he tries to, is like trying to, to get back in back into grace. He realizes he's an asshole and then Danny Glover's character says, I just think you're kind of a son of a bitch. And I'm like, what's the difference? And I think there was the one part where um he uh he being Chaz is kind of really giving Royal a hard time and he says, uh Chaz Owen Wilson's character? No. No, Chaz is Ben Silver's character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he says, um Oh, I'm sorry, um Royal Tenenbaum says to him, they're arguing and he's like, Do you think you could start forgiving me? And Chaz says, why? And he's like, oh, well, you're hurting me. And that kind of just ends. And they just like kind of walk out. But a lot of that is like you're seeing Royal Tenenbaum as being this like self-absorbed. We see him at the beginning when he's like, why is, oh, why are, when the kids are asking him, why are you being divorced? And he's kind of like, uh, you know, I, I really don't know why. She's making me leave, but I really don't know why she's yeah. making me do that. I think he's just kind of, he's sort of, he, he doesn't really know how to go about doing this stuff, but you know, he's kind of a jerk. He's kind of an idiot, and just trying to figure out how to get. He realizes, you know, what he what he lost, uh, and he says that to Chaz too, because he's earlier at one point in the film he says something like, um, "How does he say this?" He says, "You can't raise boys to be scared of life. You gotta brew some recklessness into them." Uh, and then later on, he says to um, he says to Chaz, "Take it easy on those boys, Chessie." I don't want this to happen to you. Referring to himself. Like, right. You're going to make these kids the hate you just like I made you hate me. Um, which I thought was kind of a really interesting, really interesting story that it was kind of about people trying to... The movie itself, I think, is really about everyone's kind of trying to figure out who they are. 
and like where their place is and things in a way, like how they fit into this family. Like what is their, they've kind of all gone and fit their roles of what they were in these genius Tenenbaums. And now that they've kind of all fallen out of that, they're all trying to get back and trying to really figure mm-hmm. out their lives and who they are. Yeah. Uh, no, that kind of makes sense. At the very end, when they're in the graveyard, the um, epitaph on Royal's gravestone said something about, like, he saved them from a sinking right. ship, which, yeah, their lives were all sinking ships. Yeah, that's a really good point. I assume that's what, at first, the first time you see it, like, in my head, I'm like, ah, there he is being, like, funny again. Like, yeah, he saved them from a sinking ship. And I'm like, oh, oh, he's not being literal. It's like, he's yeah, describing I don't, their lives. Honestly, I don't know. I, I think he actually was like in his mind writing it as like that's what he wanted to be remembered for he kind of because if you know earlier when he's with um which is one like a kind of a funny scene where you really get to see his insensitivity is when they first go to visit his mother's grave and he's kind of like oh that's right we've got another body buried here Uh, hold on referring Uh, to ben stiller right referring to yeah to chaz's wife and then i think after that they're walking by and he points to the big grave um, you know, that's there. It's like a big obelisk with the guy's name on it and has like a couple things of like he was in like a war, war, uh, World War II veteran or something like that. And he like, he, he points to it when he's talking to Richie. Hell of a damn grave. Wish it were mine. <laughs> and I think that really like that goes to the end of that when he's he really is concerned about like what his legacy is, how he's going to be remembered, you know, which is why he has that on his gravestone. But I think you're right that that's what that was. It was kind of like he did kind of save them from themselves in a way. Going back to um, the Wes Anderson theme, mm-hmm. I, I had a note that every every font in New York is the same. Um, hey, you you knew the name of this font. I, I don't remember. You mean the font? Universe. Is it Universe? No, no, no. Not you. You mean the font that they use for like the titles on sc- on the screen or? Well, even on like several characters in this movie have books that they. Yeah, like, yeah it's Futura Bold. Futura Bold, like right. and like. On um, the hospitals or on the outside of buildings, they all seem to have that same exact same font. It's like all capital. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's not completely on everything because some some buildings are just the actual building sign, like in the in the background. But um, yeah, well, I mean, one of the most popular. So one of the most popular fonts is uh, Helvetica. Yeah, yeah, which is used on a lot of great documentary. Yeah, very great documentary. Oh, yeah, it's um, still out there. But yeah, I think Wes Anderson uses Futura Bold a lot, um, and I only really know that because I like Field Notes, and Field Notes uses Futura Bold as their like logo text. And actually, they only use Futura Bold and all the stuff that they do, according to the back page of Field Notes. But anyway, um, it's kind of it's just it's very Wes Anderson, just like a lot of the color in the world is the same from one yeah. place to another. The font is the same from one place to another. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's just one of those weird, quirky uh, Wes Anderson things. Um, what, what do you think of the... So the kids, you know, we see them as kids, but then we see them as adults. But I feel like their personalities are all still very childlike. They act like children. They, When they talk to each other, they talk like you would... If you were a kid talking to your kid sister yeah. or your kid brother. And the parents both kind of talk... They never really talk to them as, as adults. Um which is, it's a little weird because when they are children, um, Royal does talk to his kids very adult-like when he's telling them about his divorce. But that's how he talks to them 
when they're kids and when they're adults. And it, it's almost, you almost get that feeling. It's like talking down to them or yeah. like they're not, they don't really understand what I'm saying. So I have to describe things like, yeah. I, and I wonder if that's kind of playing into the fact that he's a jerk. They were, well, that, but also because he, well, that's true. Cause he's like, you know, he's all, he is always talking down to them and he's treating them like children, but figure that they haven't seen him in what? 17 years, I think is what, mm-hmm. what he says. And, um, they basically became like they're kids that were doing these things like writing plays and Marco gets a grant for writing her plays. Richie's like won national championships when he's like 12. Um, Chaz is out there running his businesses and like buying homes and investing in real estate and stuff when he's like 13 or 14 years old. So you have these kids who basically are doing adult things as children. And then when they're adults, they act like, like they, they, kind of point in time their personality is stuck at that moment when they um you know when they were kids and doing all these like genius things that they're doing they haven't changed since they were that little right i think that's the kind of the point is that you see their clothing doesn't really change at all their haircuts don't change at all you know margo's makeup is exactly the same as it was when she was 12 she's mm-hmm. still kind of you know their mannerisms are the same i think that was really well done by wes anderson to show that essentially all we're looking at is bigger versions of yeah of no, these kids right. even eli i noticed wears um when when we have that play which is really funny when when she does the play and they're all sitting around the table and they ask royal tenenbaum what he thinks of it well did you at least think the characters were well developed what characters this is a bunch of little kids uh, dressed up in the animal costumes good night everyone i'm pretty sure if you look eli is wearing that cowboy outfit that he's oh. wearing throughout the rest of the movie that could be so I I don't know if that's I mean he's writing a lot of like western type yeah, yeah. his books are all have to do I think it was like old Custer is what his one was about yeah um, General Custer and uh, but yeah he wears that cowboy outfit throughout the whole movie so I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing what to was see. with the paintings in his house when he's an adult yeah was I don't that know supposed what to be that from, like the Warriors like I don't know at first when I first saw it the one guy where there's a guy wearing jeans with a shirt off that's being held down by people yeah. his hair looked a lot like. You know Chaz's character's hair, right? It's longer, so I didn't dark. know if that was in a, like some sort of really subtle way of. But the people that are assaulting him all have masks on. Yeah, I don't and... know what that is. I don't know if that's an artist or. Yeah, kind of reminded me is. of the 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 warriors from like I don't know was that late seventies early eighties. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. That was kind of strange. Uh, there's a couple of good or I don't know strange music choices in this movie. Um, yeah, there were. Some, I wrote down a couple of the songs, right? I mean, because we start off with "Hey Jude," yeah, but which is not a it's Beatles, not the Beatles version. Yeah, I thought that was kind of an interesting choice. And then there interesting, were, though, just quick, not to cut you off, but that I—that's the song that people joke about how like it never ends, like it just couldn't go right. on and on and on. Yeah, and it kind of just goes on and on and on for the beginning of the movie. So that's just true. Like yeah. sitting here going, "I'm like, I wonder if they're gonna ever end this." Part <laughs> of the song, it just right? goes the entire movie because the movie doesn't. Does the movie have like a score to it? There's um, so if you watch the menu of the movie, there's kind of uh, I don't know if it's piano. There's there's oh there is that little there's bit a, of... a soft melody and it plays a few times in the movie, but right. I think for the most part they use actual music like real right. songs. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I had I think I had down here we had um, so we had Hey Jude and I had I think we had uh, me and Julio down by yep. the schoolyard. 
which was Simon. actually Paul Simon's version of it. Right. The rest of the songs were actually all the um, people doing the song. They had the Charlie Brown. Yeah, the Vince, Vince um, Gar- Gar- Garaldi trio. Yeah, yeah, Christmas time is here. Which I is it's not it's not Christmas in this movie. But I don't know if it. Well, maybe it is. It's it winter. Snow. So, yeah. but it, I just thought it was an interesting choice of. They don't talk about Christmas because it plays twice in the movie. Yeah. It, the first time it plays, it's the piano. It's the instrumental version, and then the second time, it's. It's from like what was used in the Charlie Brown movie. Yeah, yeah, later on. The Charlie Brown's Christmas because it's the chorus, the kids singing it. Um, I think another one we had was uh, oh these days, which was sung. I believe that's being sung by Nico. Nico Case. Yeah. Oh. And I think that's who that is, but it's actually written by Jackson Brown and continuously. I did not know that. Jackson Brown actually, uh, he wrote that song and. Um, he wrote a lot of songs for Nico, I believe, but then uh, he performs and performs that song now a lot. So I, I like Jackson Brown, so I just I, I know that from from seeing an interview with him. Uh, and what else do we have? There was a Ramon song on there, like the who was that? What was that one called? Like Judy, um, Judy is a punk, which I kind of thought was funny. Was playing when um, when when it's Margot's montage is that is that Ramon song? Um, yeah, they have a lot of songs about girls being punks. Well, or yeah. just people in general being punks they have like sheena is a punk rocker right and then i think we had a couple other we had yeah we there's a classical song called gymno gymnopede it's spelled weird um but i think it's by pianist eric sadie every time i hear it i think it's actually this other song by joe hisiashi who does all the um studio ghibli animated movies he does all the soundtracks for those mm. uh and it's usually he's a piano player um slash conductor so every time i hear this other piano song it sounds like something he wrote but uh that's why when i heard it in here i'm like oh how did they get joe hisiashi to do their soundtrack but it's not him um, we also had there was van morrison at one point too yes um, i was thinking this is this is the soundtrack that adam would probably purchase uh yeah for sure <laughs> i absolutely would purchase a soundtrack remind me of uh the big yeah, short. yeah the, bi- the big big chill big chill Ooh, big short that's another uh, it's another good movie not not in the criterion yeah, collection the criterion. but good good movie um yeah one of the other things that i thought was kind of cool was the gypsy car the gypsy cab company yeah that was kind of a throughout because you had a lot of uh a lot of really nice cars that would show up throughout the movie and then anytime uh royal was kind of going anywhere it was always the gypsy cab company it was kind of and it was these like rusted out like dirty cabs that was it the same cab over and over again i don't think it was the same cab because there definitely wasn't the same cab driver that's true because they threw water balloons at one of the cabs and a different guy got out then had been in a few and they Uh, all had a half red half white license plate yeah which I i was i was googling that to see like is that was that ever like a New York State license plate? I don't think it Again, was. Again, I think that's like part of Wes Anderson's ability to really throw you off. Like, oh, this movie takes place in 2001, but it looks like it's taking place in the 60s or 70s. Yeah. Uh, and you're kind of... And I think it helps his movies hold up because you're not attaching a lot of technology to the film. Right. And a lot of pop culture references that throw off... Um, you know, that throw off where, we're, uh, where we are in the film. And even with the music, like there was... Um, there was one song that was from like the late nineties. I forget who did it now, but, um, that played in there that wasn't, uh, I can't remember who did it, but it played later in the film, but even like the music 
it, it it's an older selection of, right. of music, so it kind of sets it back. So you could be watching this film, the way the characters dress, you're like, oh, this movie is like takes place in like the 70s, but it's also 2001. So um, I think it's an interesting thing to do. Um, and he does it even with uh, Bottle Rocket. Well, not so much Bottle Rocket, but Rushmore and um, even the Fantastic Mr. Fox kind of has this like old vintage vibe to it. I think he does a good job. I mean, that's kind of his signature thing. He has that like hipstery vintage yeah. uh, look to everything. So, I mean, that's like signature Wes Anderson. I, it's he he's might be one of the few modern directors that has such a signature look, look, sound, like tone to his films. There's very few other directors that have such a unique signature to everything that they do. Is this like, Man. oh, it's a Wes Anderson film? I feel like. Boz Lerman, his movies tend to, they're all very flashy, very like Moulin Rouge, Romeo and Juliet, Great Gatsby. Uh, they're all very like bright colors. Uh, yeah. Weird kind of like modern music on top of like dated material. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I get That's what you're a good saying. point. And he actually, and what's interesting with that is he's covering like a, a Boz Lerman's kind of having like, he's, He's even taking ma- taking tapes on classic literature pieces, yeah, and turning them into these like. What was that? There was like a knight. Was it Knight's Tale? A Knight's Tale. Yeah, I never, yeah. I never saw that. But was that, that w- no, no. But that's no. kind of that same thing where it's like you're right. taking this weird. You're taking a um, like history out of context almost. Well, yeah. I, I just think I don't know that there's anyone. Uh, I don't even know you could as- uh, ascribe like a signature to Martin Scorsese to the depths that you could pick sure. out a van, uh, a um, Wes Anderson film yeah, yeah. from like yeah. even Spielberg. Like you could look at some of the stuff that he's done and be like, okay, yeah, here are the hallmarks of a Steven Spielberg film. Yeah. But there are these like, you know, things that happen in the movie or the, or, or certain, you know, camera angles or camera moves and, and shots and things like that with Wes Anderson. It's like, oh yeah, that's a Wes Anderson movie because yeah. of the color palette, just the way that the camera angles are shot at, the way that the story is, the characters are, that type of thing. Yeah, it's definitely, somebody could just show you like a one frame of a movie and you could probably be like, that's a Wes Anderson movie. Just right. the look of it. Exactly. Uh, yeah, you can't necessarily do that with like, um, I don't know, who's the guy who does Transformers, blows everything up? Michael oh, Bay. Michael Bay, yeah. Or, yeah. Who has a Criterion, who has a film oh in the God. Criterion collection. Yeah, we'll have to save um, that one. Yeah, Armageddon. I don't know if that's even, I know it's not a Blu-ray version. Uh, it might actually be kind of, I think it's a DVD. I don't know that it's like still in print. It might be kind of hard to get. Um, yeah. What's the, so we, I don't think we've ever mentioned, uh, if you don't own any Criterion collection movies, there's a web service you can subscribe to to stream Criterion. yeah filmstruck is criterion's um like streaming service for a long time they partnered with hulu so if you subscribe to hulu uh-huh. you could actually watch a huge amount of i mean it was a large selection of criterion collection yeah. movies uh filmstruck doesn't have every criterion collection movie right, right. in it it's also partnered with turner classic movies i think so there's oh, okay. a different combination of things the big thing with filmstruck is that um you can view a lot of the special features that they have for the Criterion Collection movie, uh, films. And obviously, that that's one of the big things that makes, you know, what Criterion Collection is is they're really taking these yeah. films and they're packaging them. They're they're restoring the print. Um, they're doing a great job of like working with the director or a cinematographer or you know or film historians if people if if their older films where no one associated with the film is living, 
and they're packaging them in these like really great formats where they're including all these interviews and special features. There's normally a booklet included that has a uh, you know has a film essay written by someone or an intro from a from a uh, from the director or someone associated with the film. Uh, so and that's kind of what really makes them unique in, in what you're getting. And what's interesting, and um, we haven't talked to kind of get into this, is that all of Wes Anderson's film all of Wes Anderson's films get a Criterion release. Now, that's not really something... Like, I would say his movies stand out from the Criterion collection as, uh, I think, his vibe, like his the, like yeah. the way he does things, fits with the Criterion collection. Mm-hmm. And I think he's really into making his films, if that makes sense, that he like has all these special features. Yeah. He has all these extras that he can include that he keeps track of. We talked about the little map that was drawn in in, in the Royal Tenenbaums uh, that's included here. And I think that's he has like a partnership with with Criterion where his stuff is after their they get a regular release because I own the uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, but it's not the Criterion version because the Criterion version was released several years after the right. movie was released right. on disc. Um, but it is kind of a funny thing that he has all these, like all of his movies are, are getting released, which I feel like kind of adds this level to them where they make it make it seem like it's special that they were picked. But it's really, I'm, I'm sure he has some sort of partnership with Criterion Collection where he, you know, puts all these uh, special features together and gets them to release them for him. Uh, so going back to the movie... Um I don't know. I wrote down a couple like lines that I just thought were funny. I mean, I feel like Wes Anderson isn't always known for his writing as much as the style of the movie, but there were definitely some good lines in this, uh, you know, um, Royals, Gene Hackman's character. Um, when he's talking to his grandsons, he, again, like he talks to them as adults. (laughs) He said, when he's talking about their mother, he said, I'm, I'm very sorry for your loss. Your mother was a terribly attractive right, woman. Yeah. <laughs> like that's supposed to make the kids feel better. Um, but, it, and, and that reminded me too, it's, you know, Ben Stiller in an earlier scene, you see him like teaching his kids. Uh, he like wakes them up in the middle of the night to get them out of the house for like a impromptu fire drill. And he's disappointed that they can't get out in under four minutes. Um, and the narrator says something about how like he's, you know, over prepared and like he really wants to protect his kids. And then when the kids are by themselves, uh, Gene Hackman just calls him over. They don't know who he is. He's just like a weird old man. Right. And they yeah. go right over and start talking to the stranger. I'm like, uh, I don't know. They haven't been trained very well, I guess. No, well, too. And then even they almost get killed at the end of the movie, which is, I think, they're, oh, yeah. That's how. Um, but I mean, that was. That could have happened to anybody. Well, true, but that's how kind of Gene Hackman's character or how Royal Tenenbaum kind of that's the moment where it's like, oh, everything is almost forgiven in that sense because he saved the lives right. of Ben Stiller's two kids and then Ben Stiller's kind of, um, or Chaz is looking at him kind of saying like, uh, well, I'd like you to save the life. And then, you know, you see that redeeming thing where he's spending time with his, with him. They're on the garbage truck kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, I thought that was really good where it's the two kids and you're like, oh, he took the kids out and then like Chaz kind of pops, pops his head back. out. Yeah. And then he's with uh, Royal Tenenbaum when he, when he dies in, in, the, um, in the ambulance. So I think that was just yep. kind of yep. a that moment where he's so worried about his kids, and then uh, you know um, you get the feeling Royal that was able to Royal just gets along better with children because he takes his grandkids to like the dog 
is it dog fighting or something or like street which, gambling, yeah, well, which he had done with dog fighting. his son, Richie, they showed a, a shot when he was a kid. Um, so it's like he's, and those, his grandkids aren't Richie's kids. They're Chaz's kids. So it's just like, he seems to, at least with the, the young boys, he gets along better. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, which is funny. Cause he doesn't really, he's not, doesn't really do well with his own children as adults as well, well even yeah, as children, I guess as kids. Aside from Richie, Richie, I think Richie was the only one. But then again, he has like the athlete thing going for him. Yeah. Um. So I think maybe that's where he kind of, you know. But so Richie was the closest with his father when they were kids, and yet he seems the most troubled as an adult, wondering if like right he kills himself it, at one point or, try, or tries, he to tries to kill himself. To. Yeah, yeah. We've we've uh, I feel like a lot of the yeah, movies. There's a lot of suicide going on here. Yeah, <laughs> suicide. <laughs> I did think suicide. what was funny was the um the scene where he kind of takes the kids uh royalty and mom takes the kids back from they were dog it was a dog fight yeah and he has like the blood on his forehead and you know chaz is like what's that what is that and he's like oh it's uh oh no no that's uh dog's blood oh it's just dog's blood yeah oh, it reminded me of um reminded me of the movie i think it was die hard with a vengeance uh at one and there's a scene where uh, bruce willis's character like he like shoots a bunch of guys and he's like walking through and i think samuel jackson comes up he's got like blood all over him and he's like you all right Huh? You all right? Yeah, yeah, it's not my blood. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought of that when I watched that. It's just kind of a funny scene. Yeah, when I, I mean, when I saw the scene, I was expecting him to be like, oh, it's just ketchup. But he's like, oh, it's just dog's blood. Yeah. Oh, that's so much better. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there's another scene where uh, the grandkids are talking to their aunt, I guess, Margot, um, who has a fake finger in this movie that they haven't, they never really explain up to a certain point. Um, and they, they say, oh, she's de- describing what happened to her finger, how it got like chopped off. Right. And the, the kids say like, did you try to sew it back on? And she's like, eh, it wasn't worth it. <laughs> it's just like her attitude. The whole movie yeah. is just like, she well, doesn't, she doesn't, she care. doesn't really show a lot of emotion. And really the only part of the movie in which she breaks from her monotone, like, you know, look where she's just kind of like has no, you know, no emotion on her face is at the very end or not the very end sorry that when they're um when Richie when Richie like after he tries to kill himself and he, he's they're in the tent and she asks him like are you ever going to do this again and he's like I don't think so and then she, she starts to cry at that point yeah uh, and I thought that was kind of a we were like oh okay like now now she's showing emotion and and really what she says when she says like oh we're going to have to love each other in secret I think that's sort of where you know she really does want to be with him but yeah they can't because it would just be it would be weird you know so richie sleeps in a tent in his childhood room well he was sleeping in a tent in the ballroom it wasn't his bedroom yeah uh so he's still sleeping in a tent and the things he has in the tent with him are like matchbox cars and he has a lot of toys and his trophies trophies. trophies, that's such a weird thing to take into a, a tent and to take to to sleep with you like those are the things that he values the most i guess i don't know it kind of goes back to like these are still kids they're adults but they're kids he has he has matchbox cars in a tent with him like yeah that's true and even um and we could say it's not but like even Chaz, when you see him as a kid he's running a business he's doing all that stuff and you go back he's in his bedroom doing everything the same exactly how he was and i think it's kind of funny how as the movie progresses the uh the amount of like computers and people that are in that room just increase and increase and increase and increase. At one point there's like a cur- a uh, curi- uh, 
courier in there yep. with like a bicycle helmet on and like there's a sign on the door it's like UPS drop off or I don't really know what he's doing like what his job is and what he runs um we only kind of get the hint at the beginning that he had done some real estate work or whatever but um yeah I just thought it was kind of uh, I thought it was funny that you do you do see them like his childhood hasn't changed he's been you know I th- I'm I'm starting to think like in a lot of Wes Anderson movies kids are often adult like they're very uh like yeah that's true ahead of their time um thinking like uh grand budapest hotel um what was the other one well even in rushmore rushmore the kid is like running that whole thing like wants to do his his huge production yeah and then moonrise kingdom well yeah there's so many kids kids in that and they're all very adult like almost like lord of the flies style right um yeah uh there was uh so after after owen wilson eli's character tells Margot about the letter um that richie wrote uh oh yeah she's talking to richie and she says i heard about that letter you wrote i heard about that letter you wrote to eli, from eli or something like that and then she drops her cigarettes and he says, you drop your cigarettes, which is a secret because nobody knows she smokes. So it's it's weird. Like she knows his secret about the letter and he knows her secret about the cigarettes. And it, they both reveal it within like seconds of each other. Yeah. Um, it's just like a weird standoff. Nobody says anything about secrets, but it's just it goes back to that weird connection they have uh, that they're both kind of sharing secrets with each other, even though it's they don't come out and say it. Right. I think and one thing we haven't really even talked about too is the fact that um, is the whole plot line of uh, which is the the biggest part of the movie I guess is really the fact that Royal Tenenbaum is faking that he has cancer throughout <laughs> the whole movie to get sympathy yeah and that's kind of his way in and there's that scene where he tells um, uh, uh, Ethel right and he he says to her like his oh wife? I'm dying yeah. And uh, ethylene, yeah. ethylene, yeah, and he's like, "I'm dying." Oh wait, no, I'm not dying. And she like freaks out at him, and oh no, 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 I am dying. Right. Uh, and really, and then of course we we it goes so far to where he has like his friend Dusty, who's the elevator operator, to, to, pretending to be a doctor, and he has like uh, his all of his pill bottles are fil- filled with Tic Tacs that you know Henry Sherman, Danny Glover's character, discovers and kind of outs him. Yeah. At it, and what I thought was really funny is after that whole thing of where he gets outed. And they're outside in the thing, and um, Pagoda just like opens this this Swiss Army knife, and it he's like him. he just stabs him, <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry," and then kind of like gets him to go. Because at first, I really thought when he was telling that story about how he met him to the kids, and he's saying about, "Oh, like he, he, he like, stabbed me," yeah, he, yeah. he like stabbed me with a shiv. I'm like, yeah, you I thought he was just making it up, story. and then he actually does it. You're like, "Oh yeah, like, yeah." It's like, <laughs> it's that's, like really how that's it the last time you stabbed me. <laughs> like how many times? Is and he with that get Pagoda character, um, that actor. Like, I felt like I was just watching someone, like, and I, I, it was intentional, but he wasn't a good actor. Right. Like, I, just I don't, an average guy off the street. Like, yeah. It reminded me of, if you've seen the show Masters of None, yeah. the Aziz Ansari show, when his, 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 parents, his parents are the, are the characters who play his parents. Yeah. And he, his dad is, like, over the top, like, bad acting. Like, you can tell it's, like, he, they cut just as he said his line, and then they cut away from it. Yeah. Uh, and I felt like that's how it was, where you can, in some scenes, you can see him, like, waiting to say his line. So just that was an interesting choice of, of, that, of that, using that actor. There's, I think there's a lot of that in Grand, Buda, 
Grand Budapest Hotel too. Um, I I get the feeling that like English may not be that actor's first language. And no, I think he he's kind of um, like Indian. Yeah, I would think Pakistan, so. Pakistan. Yeah, maybe. yeah, I think he's. Um, so maybe he's he might be like phonetically remembering a line. So that's it's hard right. to deliver that with the right emotion. He's just kind of saying it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's a good uh, juxtaposition between his his acting yeah, and yeah, other yeah. actors. Yeah, for sure. Um, another weird line I liked was when uh, Bill Murray, uh, when wh- whatever his name is, Saint whatever Raleigh Saint. Yeah, Raleigh Saint Clair. When he's asking Margot um, if she's ever cheated on him, and she says, "Have you met someone else?" I couldn't even begin to think about knowing how to answer that question. It's, it's just like when somebody's just talking and making up crap and they don't know what they're saying. I don't know. Yeah, it's just so, a way of like avoiding having to answer the question. Yeah. I, you see that almost in uh, when um, uh, when Eli's on that television interview and he asks him yeah. uh, the quest- a question. I forget what the question is exactly, but he takes a really, really long sip of his coffee before he kind of like goes into his his meltdown. I didn't get, like he's supposed to be some kind of drug addict or something but yeah he said he's do they ever show him oh he says that you see him well when when those guys are in his apartment when they come over to like try to take him to rehab yeah when yeah, chat yeah. oh not Chaz. um richie and royal and pagoda come over to take him to rehab he has like what looks like cocaine and like it looks like he's rolling joints but his his character i mean like every character in this movie is very monotone like there's no real highs or lows or emotion. Right. And I'm thinking like he's the most level-headed drug addict. <laughs> like, right. Like even in the interview that he like gets up and walks out of, he's just like, uh, I'm going to stop this interview. I'm, I'm going to take this off now and leave. Yeah. I, I and they're really... like, oh, he's on drugs. Like, well, he said, like... He was on, he said he was on mescaline. Yeah. I don't really so I don't, know what, I don't really know you, what but... that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, his really only crazed out drug addict moment is when he crashes the car into the side of the building. In full like yeah, he's like Indian a war paint war on. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. I don't know what he was really, what he was really doing there. I, I really like that because they, you see him flying down the road. You don't see the car crash scene. You hear it right, and then they show him laying on the living room floor as if he's hit the side of the building, been ejected through the air, crashed through the window, and landed in the living room. And he's just laying there. He's like, "Is everyone all right?" Like he's like, um. Where's my shoe? Where's my shoe? <laughs> I think Dudley comes in. He's like, here it is. It's just, it's, it's again, like you kind of suspend your disbelief and it's not quite right. reality. Like you'd be dead if that happened. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of goes back to even the boys surviving that plane crash. And, uh, what's the, the, the dog's name's Buckley. Like Buckley, yeah. like, like he survives and he's in he's his in cage. His crate. Yeah. He's just sitting there. Again, it's just sort of like the ridiculousness of, of that. And then he dies at the end of the movie, which kind of, he just like kills the dog. Like, come on. Yeah. That was a little sad. Yeah. He's like, hardly, the dog's like never really even talked about. It. And then he kills the dog. So the dog gets killed and then, uh, Royal kind of buys the Dalmatian from the fireman. Right. And gives it to them as their new dog. And that made me think, so Royal's like, he sees the Dalmatian, he's petting him. And then he like, I'm like, Oh, maybe he really likes Dalmatian dogs. Oh, maybe that's why as a child, Chaz created Dalmatian mice because he knows his father loves Dalmatians and he's trying to like relate to his father in some way. Yeah. I don't know. That might be a stretch, but 
No, that's an interesting It's weird point. that there's two Dalmatian things yeah, in the movie. That is, because why would it be Dalmatian mice? It's kind of odd. Yeah, it's very Although random. it is funny when he is talking. He, You can see he's, he's trying to negotiate um, with those firefighters because he's like... I think he's part mutt. Uh, what kind of papers do you have for it? Like, he's trying to, like, make the dog seem worse than it is. Yeah. Like, a, you know, not as... Not as pure of a breed yeah so. twenty dollars like talking right. down and this they just sell him his dog this is so random yeah i don't think firemen don't would know. just sell their fire dog yeah uh th- one other i don't know if it's a classic line from this movie um but it's it's kind of the scene uh where uh margo's saying like i'm not in love with you anymore i didn't know you ever were let's not make this any more difficult than it already is Okay. Okay, what? Okay, I'm not in love with you either. Which is funny because it's the same, almost the same type of thing that um, Henry Sherman says to um, to the mom because he's yeah. like, I want to marry you, and you know I was in love with you. And she's like, no, I didn't. I didn't know that. that none of these people know anything about emotions. Right, exactly. Um, that, that line stuck out to me because a band I used to be in, uh, the one member in our band who kind of put the music together had used that as a clip in the uh, in the beginning of the cool. song um well we gotta put that song in the show notes if it's out there somewhere yeah i have to i think the version i have it does not have that clip in ah. it. i think i think maybe he only did that when we were playing it live but uh, i actually sent him a text in the middle of the movie i said did you ever use this clip in a in a song it sounds familiar and, and he told me what song we used it in so yeah oh uh, yeah that's cool know, reminded me of that um one other note I, I also had written was that, you know, you kind of get the sense that this is a, maybe not super wealthy, but a relatively wealthy family. Their house is enormous. Right. And it's in New York. Um, but everything they use is dated. Like, they dress, like, from the 70s. All the furniture, the computers, everything, rotary phones. But I think that's, again, like I said earlier, it's I think that's style. part of that, like, the style of Wes Anderson. Sure. Like, but it's you off. it's weird in that, like, it's this supposedly wealthy family that does not. Looking at them, you wouldn't think they were a wealthy family, right? If you just met them on, everyone's taking cabs, like very rusted cabs. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's New York. I don't know. I mean, those weren't even like regular cabs I mean, no they're like fictitious yeah. it's gypsy, the gypsy cab, cab company. company that's all rusted and uh, stuff i don't know i think that was just yeah i mean funny. it works for the style of the movie but i think character wise it, it feels a little weird uh i know we're going long here i'm just trying to look through my notes <laughs> i mean there's this movie's there's so much to it like maybe not dialogue wise but like i don't know just every like i said earlier every scene like yeah you could sit here i mean it's... everything the characters do I think that what is what makes a lot of Wes Anderson films so yeah. great is because there's so much information going on in every scene that you can kind of pick through, you know, pick through and look at all the different things. I mean, we we just talked about a ton of different stuff, and I don't even think we really, you know, I mean, we could spend an entire hour just talking about the plot and the themes and things like that, and we... I think the other song you were trying to think of earlier was Goodbye Ruby Tuesday? Yes, that's the song I was trying to think of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. who sings that? Is that that's uh, not the Beatles. No, 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 no. It no. kind of sounds like them, though. Um... My Ruby Tuesday, turtles? yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you know, might be some. Not, it's not the Turtles, but it. It's one band from that era. Yeah, I, I can't. They're like it's like on the tip of my tongue, and we'll I can't think of notes, it. I'm we sure. will put that in the show notes. Uh, so, <laughs> I've never noticed this before, but I noticed that 
Gwyneth Paltrow's earlobes are attached. You know, some people have attached earlobes. Some people have them dangling. Why would you notice that? I only noticed it because, like you were saying earlier, he does a lot of shots where their head is so much the focus of the shot. Right. Kind of like centered. And um, the way her hair hair is cut in this, she has it kind of pulled back around her ear a lot. And at, at first I thought it was like some weird thing with the way the, the shot was but then I'm like oh i guess your earlobes are attached and then i so then i noticed the same thing on luke wilson he has attached earlobes and so does owen wilson well yeah it's like a genetic right it makes sense that huh. luke and owen would have it but then I when i saw what, like the per- population percentage of attached versus unattached yeah I've, i never really have we'll put that in the show notes too because we're gonna look it up but when i saw that luke wilson had it and gwyneth paltrow then i thought maybe they really are related maybe she's not adopted uh, yeah, I mean, eh. yeah, no. No, I'm sure that's not the point of the yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, I just thought it was strange. Another weird thing is when uh, um, Royal becomes a elevator operator. And yeah. he's trying to get to the the lobby. He's taking his son down in the lobby. Uh, I think it's Richie. And he, he calls Pagoda on this yeah, walkie-talkie. Yeah, he's the walkie-talkie. He's like, he's meet, like me in the, meet me in the lobby. Hit it. And he like hits... A button or something? To no, make- so the old elevators had these, like, cranks that they would be able to, like, a manually... It's a manually operated elevator. To speed elevator. up the elevator? You can see it when they, when he first gets in the elevator because um, he's not, like... He's basically, like, moving it to move it up and down. All right. Uh, and the, the what look like buttons are actually just lights to let him know when he's at the floor. And so he's basically just, like, opening it up to just have it go down because like, it seems full. like it speeds up when he does that. well i think he can slow it down and speed it up All right speeding it up would just be like you know to, to go so it, it's exaggerated in the movie but it's like yeah. an old school manually right. so that's a legit elevator. thing i thought that, i think so yeah i thought there was some weird uh made up thing for this movie uh da, 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 da. i like the part where uh margot says you probably don't even know my middle name probably don't even know my middle name That's a trick question. You don't have one. Helen. That was my mother's name. I know it was. Of course it was, because you probably named her after your mother. Right, he basically just does not really care about her at all. Right. Is, is, the, is a sense. He, he's always introducing her as, and they say in the film, like, oh, and uh, I think it's like one of the opening narrations where he's like, oh, he always introduces her as uh, adopted. Margot, my adopted daughter, or my adopted daughter Margot, however he says it, but. I did also like at the end when he's kind of like trying to redeem himself a little more he, and he stops by the family's house and he asks if anybody wants to go to the cemetery with him and nobody does. When they show him in the cemetery, he's visiting his daughter. Yeah, grave, he is. Yeah. His, I thought that was interesting. His too. mother's grave. Um, yeah. And he doesn't tell anybody about that. So that's, that's more of a look like, Hey, look, he generally is legitimately trying to change right. himself and he's not telling anybody about it, um, which is usually a good sign in a movie that, they're legit but right because i think you go through the majority of this movie not really liking royal tenenbaum right you're kind of just annoyed by him and i think it by by the end you come around to where like you know ah you know he he was a jerk for most of his life but like he i think he you know he came to the realization that he you know he he kind of like not walked out of his family but he he just kind of treated his family like crap and didn't care he cared too much about himself yeah and didn't really you know, maybe it was too hard on his kids or, you know, you see the, with, um, 
where he he and they're playing like with the BB guns and stuff, and he shoots Chaz, and they're supposed to be on the same team, and Chaz is still holding on to that. I mean, he has the BB still like embedded in his knuckles, but he's like, you were supposed to, like you were on my team, and I think that's the the biggest aspect of this film is that he ha- he was never really on his kid's side, but you know he he didn't really appreciate. And he's critiquing Margot's plays. Like, I don't know if the characters are really that well. He turns on uh, Chaz, who then turns on him later on. Like, basically, like, well, screw you. I'll just, you know, sue you for this. You t- you stole money from me. Really, only Richie's the only one where you kind of see him, like... But you, maybe he was the one he took him to the dog fighting and kind of, like, would invite him to go out into those things. Right. But even when he has the meltdown, he's like, well, why did you have the meltdown? Like, I had a lot of money writing on that. You know... I think that's kind of the thing is that he just wasn't there for his kids and yeah. uh, and now you see him he kind of has that realization and um, even at one point when he says to um, when Her- um, uh, when Henry Sherman is next to Margot and he's kind of like telling her to come inside and he's yells at her he's like he's not your father neither are you so yeah. I, I think that's sort of the biggest theme of this this movie is just you just like he was just not really a great dad and is trying to come back around to to be that person and kind of does at the end. They, you know, I think Chaz is the one character in the movie who, if you're like, if he accepts him, everybody accepts him. He's the one who's the longest holdout and kind of like accepting him yeah. as, uh, you know, as, okay, hey, like this guy isn't really that bad and I should try to get to know him a little bit more and, and, and spend some time with him. So but he does the same thing with Danny Glover's character. I, I do well, yeah. Because he, at the wedding, he says something like, "I'm a widower." Oh yeah, I forgot. You know, I'm a widower myself. I know you are, Jazz. And they've known this—they've known him for ten years, but that's like the first time he's really relating to him. Yeah, I, yeah, no, true. I think that, and that you're you're seeing like Henry Sherman's character as a father in comparison to Royal Tenenbaum where he is saying like you need you know he's saying like I'm a widower too and he puts his hand he's like I know you are yeah like that's like that moment where he's like yeah man I know what it's I know what you've gone through um and I think that's really where you're seeing like oh and you're even seeing like Gene Hackman knows that Henry Sherman is a good guy and why at the end I think he's kind of coming around and accepting the fact that they're uh you know that they're gonna get married so did you notice the name of the boat that Richie is on, that he's supposed to be, like, living on? The It's French. It's, like, Cote d'Ivory. Cote d'Ivoire or something like that? Yeah, Cote d'Ivoire. Yeah. I'm, I was terrible in French, by the way. Um, which is actually the name of a West African country. And in Yeah, in real life. Uh, and earlier in the movie, where they said when they were younger... Richie and Margot like hid in a museum in like the West in like, Oh, right. Yeah. 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 It it just made me wonder if that was like, if that was supposed to be something like, again, him him and her had this like secret bond and maybe he became fascinated with Africa. Then, um, he couldn't be with her, but he, you know, held on to this memory of her. Yeah. I mean, well he does, I think they say that he was like sailing along the Ivory coast at one point. So I guess that's why. Yeah. Um, the only other, thing I, I really wanted to mention was towards the end of the movie so R- richie has like a pet falcon or he's like a falconer and he he has the falcon's name's mordecai right and uh he releases 
actually on the cover of the uh, Criterion Collection is a drawing of him <laughs> releasing Mordecai. It just says, go, Mordecai. Right. Anyway, he comes back at the end, and he's slightly different color. Mm-hmm. And they say, like, he molted Right, he has, like, whiter hair. Whiter, uh, whiter feathers, sorry. Because he's been, like, transformed or something. Uh-huh. They said, like, oh, he must have had a... Some type of, like, experience. Like a stressful thing. Yeah. So, but when they're saying that, it's Richie and Margot and Mordecai. And I was thinking, like, well, the three of them have all had... I now, guess almost everybody in this movie has When had, that scene happens, it's Gene. I know it's first it's Gene. And he's the one who says, like, oh, well, they say when some people have a stressful thing, their hair turns white. I, I think he must say... I think Richie then says it again to, to Margot Yeah, he later, does, yeah. Because um, the three of them are together. Mordecai being one of the three of them. But so, you know, Margot had her finger chopped off at some point, which is kind of a stressful thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richie tries to kill himself. Right. I mean, every, every character in this movie had some weird transformation thing happen, but we don't, they never say what happened to Mordecai. He just leaves and comes back. Right. Um, you know, I guess he's he's a true Tannenbaum then as a bird because he had this transformation yeah no that's true that's definitely a good point uh i don't know i mean again i could go on and on about this movie but uh i think we should probably try to wrap things up soon yeah definitely well i definitely think it's a a great a great film i I, like i said uh, pretty much every west anderson film is in the criterion collection yeah so uh we'll we'll definitely be revisiting one of these uh at a at a later in a later episode so if there is another Wes Anderson film that you'd like us to uh, watch and discuss, please let us know. Uh, But that's it for this episode of Criterion on the Couch. You can find the show notes at criteriononthecouch.com slash the Royal Tenenbaums. Next time we'll be discussing the Terrence Malick film Badlands. Uh, Don't forget to check us out on Facebook, on Twitter, we're at Criterion Couch, and on Instagram, we're at Criterion on the Couch. I'm Adam Urich with Jim Massessa. Thanks for listening. See you next time.